0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, July 13th. I'm Julia Caulfield.
1: And I'm Grace Richards.
0: In today's headlines, saying goodbye to the double basement.
1: Paragliders coast toward new regulations.
0: Hold your horses for the county fair.
1: And a mountain weather forecast. Telluride is looking to scale down
0: on larger homes. This week, Town Council held a work session to discuss changes to Telluride's land use code with the goal of clarifying development guidelines and helping developments fit within the aesthetic and feel of the town. At the end of March, Town Council placed a six-month moratorium on certain types of new development applications to give time to address or make changes to the land use code. John Wenzel, Historic Preservation Director for the Town of Telluride, says based on work sessions from both the Historic and Architectural Review Commission and the Planning and Zoning Commission, they've identified six goals to amend the land use code. Eliminating double basements, simplifying rules for bonus site coverage, aligning HARC scale with floor area, reducing the impacts of three- and four-story structures on hillsides, retaining the look and feel of Telluride's traditional mass and scale on hillsides, and limiting environmental impacts of demolition and new construction. During the work session at Town Council this week, the majority of discussion was spent on eliminating double basements and simplifying the rules of bonus site coverage. Here's Wenzel.
2: Our land use code defines a basement as an area or level that is more than 50% below grade. So we have to um, distinguish between steeper lots, which might have two or three basements, and flatter lots or less steep lots, um,
0: which traditionally would only have had one basement. On flatter lots, Wenzel suggests they eliminate allowing more than one basement below grade. Steeper lots are those with a slope of 25 percent or greater. Currently, homes built into steep lots often build into the hillside, creating, per the land use code, up to three or four basements.
2: We would propose to eliminate basements that are below the lowest um. Point
0: or the post-construction grade low point. The next issue are the rules on bonus site coverage. Those are basements that extend beyond the footprint of the rest of the house.
2: Currently, there are portions that could be slightly above grade, up to 18 inches, if it's below a front porch or a deck. Um, This has caused problems because um, sometimes... um, It's more visible than we would want it to be. We've seen um, windows proposed below the porch. We've seen areas
0: where it hasn't, hasn't been applied appropriately. Wenzel recommends requiring all bonus site coverage to be fully below grade. As a work session, Town Council did not vote on any of the proposed amendments. Hark and the Planning and Zoning Commission will review the amendments again before making a recommendation to Town Council. The Moratorium on Development Applications sunsets in September 2023. The Telluride Air Force came before town council this week. Before you picture roaring jet planes and pilots in military fatigues, this particular air force is actually a nonprofit club, which promotes hang gliding and paragliding in the Box Canyon, and was asking council to not update town's municipal code. KOTO's Gavin McGough has more.
3: Telluride boasts an endless buffet of recreation options hike, paddle, ski, ride, climb, you get the idea. And Telluride does regulate the sporting scene, determining, for example, which trail you can or can't bike on and who can use Town Park when. But one sport in particular has its own set of regulations, paragliding and hang gliding. Pilots have a long history of launching off the north side of the ski resort and have a right to land on town property, including Town Park and the valley floor. Danny Whitaker, president of the Telluride Air Force, visited town council this week to say the rules and regulations for his sport are in need of an update, even though the last update was just four years ago.
4: We have found that our sports of both paragliding and hang gliding um, have continued to evolve very, very rapidly um, over the past number of years. Started, of course, before 2019. The, The amendments that were made in 2019 when I reviewed them. Looked like they were primarily centered on upgrading what at the time was about 35-year-old code.
3: So while the last round of updates was long overdue, Whitaker says it's already time to look to the future of the sport, as the picture continues to change. One big shift facing hobby pilots has to do with their preferred launch point, the ski area.
4: The insurers for the ski resort, which is AIG, um, have changed significantly the requirements that they impose on any recreational operators that bring activities onto the ski mountain. And that has in turn created a new set of challenges for the continuation of our sports in the valley.
3: Another change facing the sport, Telluride's draw as a destination, is bringing all sorts of new traffic to the Telluride skies.
4: We've seen a continuing increase in destination travel. I think the pandemic has has accelerated that to some degree. Um, where we have paragliders that are now coming in internationally from other locations around the world to Telluride specifically for the purpose of flying here in our valley.
3: Currently, any pilot paragliding or hang gliding in Telluride must be certified by the U.S. Hang Gliding Association. Whitaker says accepting certifications from other national and international entities could open up insurance opportunities and clear the path for pilots visiting Telluride from overseas. Whitaker also asked that the town code become more specific about who can land where. It's a lot easier, for example, to land on the wide open valley floor than it is in the bustling hub of Town Park.
4: So we want to be able to handle nuanced distinctions where we could have more junior pilots uh, progress through their natural progression and learning our sports and land on safer more forgiving places like the valley floor, while restricting areas like the town park to more advanced pilots that have proven skills and higher certifications.
3: The town code currently gives the Telluride Air Force regulatory authority on who is allowed to fly in the Telluride skies. Town manager Scott Robson points out this is a unique situation. It's sort of like town choosing one nonprofit to determine who is allowed to ski Bear Creek. Robson explains.
5: Skiing, dropping into Bear Creek is extremely dangerous in the winter, uh, particularly without avalanche gear and certain backcountry training. Mm-hmm. We would probably not want to get into the business of regulating which nonprofit gets to approve and uh, who gets to ski Bear Creek and access what is town property to come back into town. It, it seems very parallel in a lot of ways, and it's a little bit of a dangerous precedent in, in my mind.
3: Council members are unfazed by the precedent. Council member Adrian Christie says she trusts the Telluride Air Force to help regulate who is allowed to take to the skies above Telluride.
0: Having had this in our code for a number of years already, I'm comfortable with keeping it in our code because it's also a quirky little sport that continues to happen in our town, and we got to keep our town funky in small little ways, in my humble opinion.
3: Other council members agree the new rules are clear for takeoff. The updates to town code will be drafted and voted on at a future meeting.
1: At the Norwood Fairground, a summer tradition dating back over a century kicks off this weekend. Dating back to 1909, San Miguel County Parks and Open Space Director Janet Kask says the fair brings people together to celebrate the county's history.
6: San Miguel County varies greatly from the east end to the west end, you know, towards the west end. Uh, It's ag, it's, you know, agricultural, it's farming, it's ranching, and it really brings us back to those days as far as the culture and history within the county itself.
1: It's a chance for the community to celebrate their agricultural heritage and the tradition of raising livestock to sell at the fair, which for some families has been passed down through generations.
6: You know, grandparents to their kids who are now parents with their own children, and, you know, and then down to the grandchildren and how it just passes on. It's cyclical.
1: Cask says that the junior livestock sale on Saturday, July 22nd, is a grand finale of sorts, the culmination of it all. The local 4-H program sets kids up with baby animals like calves, sheep, and piglets, which they raise to be sold at the fair. These
6: are kids who have participated throughout the year in the 4-H program. You know, they obtained their animals months ago when they were babies, and they have been nurturing them, feeding them, grooming them.
1: For some of these kids, selling their livestock could yield big results. A large steer could go for up to $10,000
6: you'll see the tiniest little girl or boy uh, having raised a steer that could be, you know, four or 500 pounds and they, you know, and they're walking it around the show ring and in the arena.
1: In addition to livestock, Cask says there's something for everyone at the fair. Art, a horse show, barbecue, baked goods, a potluck, and even a family dance. And for those who crave something sweet, Cask says the dessert contest won't disappoint. It's a time for the county to honor those who work on its land. And above all, it brings people together to celebrate the dedication and hard work of the county's youth.
6: It's grown over the years, but uh, there's still that traditional value that uh, Maine is at its core that is always present, and it's that tradition that continues as each year progresses forward.
1: The San Miguel County Fair takes place Saturday, July 15th through Sunday, July 22nd at the county fairgrounds in Norwood. The San Miguel Basin Rodeo will take the reins Friday, July 28th and Saturday, July 29th.
0: The mountain passes around Telluride continue to open as snow melts at higher elevation and county staff put in the work. On Thursday, San Miguel County announced both Ofer and Imogene passes are now open to vehicle traffic. Last Dollar and the Norwood-Dolores Road are also both open. Black Bear Pass remains closed. The county has not begun work on that section.
1: A 35-year-old man sustained extensive injuries after being attacked by a bear outside of Durango this week. The victim is a sheep herder working on the San Juan National Forest, about 25 miles northeast of Durango. According to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, the victim reported being woken up by a disturbance at his camp involving his sheep and a black bear. He reportedly fired a .30-caliber rifle at the bear before it attacked him. The man sustained bite wounds to his head, hand, and arm, as well as lacerations to his hip and scratches on his back. Following the attack, CPW says the victim was able to crawl back into his tent and contact his cousin. Emergency responders airlifted him to Mercy Regional Medical Center. CPW collected DNA samples from the man before he was flown to Grand Junction for surgery. CPW wildlife officers in the area discovered a blood trail, the victim's rifle, and two dead sheep at the attack site. CPW and federal officers used a team of dogs to track the bear. After a day of searching, officers found and shot and killed the animal. It is CPW protocol to euthanize a bear that attacks a human. CPW officers determined the bear was an approximately eight-year-old male weighing an estimated 250 pounds. The bear had wounds on its chest, but CPW was unable to determine if they were gunshot wounds fired by the victim. This is the first reported bear attack in Colorado in 2023 and the first in La Plata County since May 2021. A Colorado man has been charged with
0: illegally landing a helicopter in Grand Teton National Park. According to park officials, rangers found the pilot and his helicopter at Morin Bay on the west shore of Jackson Lake late last month. He was charged with two misdemeanors. Each comes with a fine up to $5,000 or six months in jail. The pilot is scheduled to appear before a Jackson federal judge in August. These are not his first offenses, The pilot was also charged earlier this year for flying a plane too low in another national park in Colorado. Grand Teton National Park staff say unauthorized helicopter landings are prohibited to protect wildlife and preserve the visitor experience.
1: Human-caused climate change is already manifesting in the Roaring Fork Valley, and environmental experts say that future changes will have substantial impacts on the region. But as Aspen Public Radio's Kaya Williams reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, community members aren't just noticing the changes, they're dedicating their lives to mitigating the impacts.
7: Eric Ringsby's family goes back generations in the Roaring Fork Valley with deep ranching roots. And back in high school, he studied his surroundings under Castle Creek Valley icon Stuart Mace, a stalwart protector of the natural world and founding trustee of the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies.
5: Before I just had a real very strong connection with nature, but I think with Stuart Mace I became aware of real environmental issues and the impacts of people and wildlife.
7: Ringsby's an artist and also an environmentalist who now helps raise funds for the Aspen-based Global Warming Mitigation Project. Several decades after that formative experience with Mace, Ringsby says working to protect the environment feels more urgent than it used to.
5: I feel that every year there are more problems with fire, more problems with, with flooding, more problems with mudslides, more problems with drought. And all of these problems are becoming more frequent. A new reality is coming every day.
7: It's not just a feeling, either. The Picking County Hazard Mitigation Plan factors climate change into all kinds of disasters that threaten the region. It's informed by reports from the Aspen Global Change Institute, the U.S. Global Change Research Program, and other climate models. And the plan says a warmer climate could exacerbate the risks of flooding dam failures landslides avalanches and ice jam releases drought could become more frequent severe and longer lasting creating even drier conditions in a county that has already been in some level of drought 63 percent of the time between 2000 and 2022. the plan says climate change could also lead to more vigorous thunderstorms and more lightning and amid rising temperatures in the roaring fork valley Those factors could exacerbate wildfires where conditions are already risky and where the landscape shows the impacts from the Lake Christine Fire in Basalt and the Grizzly Creek Fire in Glenwood Canyon.
3: We're in increasingly precarious times.
7: Tim Karfs is a Climate and Sustainability Programs Administrator for the city of Aspen. He helped present the climate component of the hazard mitigation plan to local stakeholders. And he says the impacts on snowpack, or average temperatures, for instance, are local symptoms of bigger changes forecast by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC.
3: So the IPCC's six assessment report really told us that we're at a crossroads. There is a path forward for this resilient future that we're trying to create, but we really need to act now.
7: The IPCC says temperatures are warming on a global scale, and human activities that produce greenhouse gas emissions are, quote, unequivocally the cause. So for CARFs and the city's sustainability manager, Tessa Schreiner, acting now means a couple of things. Schreiner explains.
2: Adaptation is, of course, adjusting to the realities of a changing climate that are happening now and will continue to happen in the future. And then how can we adjust to that, adapt to that, and also reduce our emissions to mitigate intense climate change You know, in years to come?
7: On one hand, you might have a hazard mitigation plan, which lists dozens of different projects to respond to hazards, like floods and wildfires. And on the other, you might have something like the Aspen Sustainability Action Plan to reduce the city's greenhouse gas emissions.
8: Depending on what you're looking at, pretty much across the board, the impacts of climate change you see are tied to emissions.
7: Elise Osenga is the community
8: science manager at the Aspen Global Change Institute. So if we are dealing with what they call a high emission scenario, where we don't change our behavior at all, there's going to be a lot, more that you have to adapt to and a lot more intensity to what you have to adapt to than if you start making changes now.
7: Online interactive maps from NOAA, the U.S. Geological Survey, and other partners show just how much emissions impact the intensity of warming. Fiddle with a few variables, and you can see the cool blues of average temperatures past turning to warmer yellows, oranges, and reds in the present and future, with higher emissions translating to more severe changes in the landscape. That
8: has implications for pretty much everything. It's easy sometimes to forget how closely our lives are tied to the surrounding landscape. But the answer is they are tied in, you know, from every air we breathe, if it's pure or not, to the water that comes out of your tap.
7: Osinga also helped present that hazard mitigation plan, providing scientific insight on a policy problem. The Global Change Institute is a research institute. So they're
8: looking at data to help other people make informed decisions. When changes happen incrementally, when things are happening little by little, or when you're looking at something like climate where you have such variation from year to year, sometimes it can be hard to see the overall direction things are heading in. And so having long-term research is absolutely essential, both to thinking about what are the actions we take to prevent additional climate change, because it can be a motivator if you can see that things are actually changing and you're not just acting on a hunch. And it also helps us think about how do we adapt? Osinga says adaptation is critical to a livable community. The climate has already begun to change. We are already seeing warming. And so Adaptation is also going to be important, particularly if you want to have a community that takes care of all of its members. You can't just ignore what's already changing.
7: And it's changing everywhere, which is why Osinga and other climate-minded people see a lot of opportunity in collaboration between communities. Carfs from the city is an optimist on that front, even if we are living in precarious times.
3: I think, I think the, the fact that we have so many great community success, successes to draw from right now, Shows that we you know we are doing a lot and we and we have a lot of opportunity to do more, but if we don't act now, we will have less options down the line.
7: Ringsby is hopeful too, based on real world examples of progress in climate action. His work with the Global Warming Mitigation Project helps support the fifty thousand dollar Keeling Curve Prize to help advance innovation that mitigates human impacts on climate change. And he sees perhaps more than the average person, the possibility that those innovations hold.
5: I'm afraid the frequent storms and problems with fires and things of that nature, those things are not really going to go away. However, I do feel with positive solutions, we can mitigate the problem and keep it so it's more manageable rather than have it completely take over and completely ruin our lives.
7: It won't be easy, he says, but it'll be worth it. I'm Kaya Williams, Aspen Public Radio News.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Friday should be sunny during the day and clear at night. The high is near 90 degrees with a low in the mid-40s. Saturday, expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-80s. Saturday night should be clear, with a low around 45 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, July 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.